So today and next week, I want to have a conversation with you uh, that came out of a few other conversations I've had since I've been back from Tanzania. Um, and if you read the board on the way in, um, we're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is not a topic that I tend to deal with a ton because I lose friends <laughs> when I do this. Because I, 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 uh, I'll be, be playing with you. I have, I have a non-typical view on this on this subject, especially as a charismatic pastor. So, but what I've found over the years is that this is not only a touchy topic to deal with, it's also a topic that has been dealt with so infrequently in the, in the church as a whole that most people don't have a biblically grounded view on this topic. Um, we, we tend to view the Holy Spirit more like, you know, Harry Potter and his magic wand than the servant of God here to carry out his will on earth through us. You know, um, there's, there tends to be an incredible, incredible lack of humility when it comes to in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to, I want to deal with this. And um, today I, I, I titled uh, the, the, the series this week and next week is the power of the Holy Spirit. But today is becoming a vessel of honor, uh, a vessel of honor. And uh, it's an interesting topic and it can be a lot of fun. You can have, you can do a lot of, of, of interesting things with it. But Dr. Lyle mentioned this during his topics that sometimes in order to get to dessert, you have to have a little broccoli. And so we're going to have a little broccoli, uh, uh, today. And, but I promise it's, it's good broccoli. It's, it's the, it's broccoli that's like covered in cheese and, and stuff. You know, it's not, it's not boiled broccoli. It's, it's, it's good broccoli, right? So, um, at least I hope so. Uh, in my mind, it's good broccoli, the kind that Samantha makes. I, I really like that. But um, you can ask her about it later. She's thinking, thank you, thank you. Um, now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you have encountered something about the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in one way, shape, or form, if you've been in the church for any, any, anything more than a couple of months, um, it may have been through hearing something about receiving spiritual gifts. It may have been a sermon talking about how the gifts of the Spirit are fake, or it may have been a sermon talking about how the gifts of the Spirit are real. Um, you may have watched a YouTube video of someone talking about it or performing a miracle, and you may have watched a YouTube video someone debunking that miracle as fake or made up. It's all sides are available. They're everywhere. And there's so much of it, it can be very, very confusing. But somewhere along the line, whether you've encountered the Holy Spirit or not, you will. And you're going to be confronted with this topic. And as a pastor, my job is to help equip you to understand that topic when it arrives, when it, uh, when it, when it, come, when it shows up. Uh, because it's going to, whether you like it or not. You can put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 la. But at some point in time, it's it's, it's going to come knocking on your door. Um, and I don't want you to be hoodwinked by a slick-sounding preacher who's selling you a bill of goods that has nothing to do with the truth. And that's a lot of what we see in the church today. Um, when you look at the Apostle Paul, the person who spoke more about spiritual gifts than anybody, here was one of his main concerns. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, regarding the question about special abilities or spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives, I don't want you to, be, to, uh, to misunderstand this. Now, if you read the New King James or another, uh, another translation, it would say, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant on this topic. Because he's talking to Gentiles, and Gentiles at that point in time were very much pagan believers. They believed in pagan mysticism, different types of magic and, and bringing offerings to various gods that would give you powers to do different things. And he was worried that they would bring that messed up view of the power of God into the church and... 
It's been a battle ever since. But an interesting thing is that Paul is not getting into the argument of whether or not spiritual gifts exist. He's simply saying that the church needs to approach the topic of spiritual gifts in an informed, confident, godly manner. Not an uninformed, ignorant, ungodly manner. It's important that we deal with this subject according to the scriptures, not according to our own views. Now, within the church today, no matter what kind of church you go to, there are basically two views on spiritual gifts. One is called continuationists. And it's those who believe that the gifts and the offices of the Holy Spirit are still in practice today. They still exist today. I am a continuationist. I'm, I'm just not a very good one. Oh, you'll understand that as we, as we go on. Now, continuationists would include charismatic and Pentecostal churches, but it's not just limited to that. There are, um, there are charismatic Catholics, there are charismatic Lutherans, there are charismatic Methodists, right? And they're also very legalistic, very um, uh, cessationist, which is the other view. In, in, in charismatic churches, I've, I find cessationist groups in charismatic churches, which I think is really funny, because it's kind of like opening up a Baskin-Robbins in a gym, why would you do that? Just go someplace else. Now, the charismatic views are not new. Some people believe that, charis- that, that, that charismania um, started sometime in the early 1900s, the late 1800s. That's actually not true. Charismatic beliefs have been around since the first century. They were very much around in the, in the first churches. Paul talks about some, when you, when you look at Paul, talk up to the church in Corinth and church in Ephesus, some of the things that he talks about would represent charismatic church beliefs. This is not a new thing. The, prop, the difference is, the charismatic tradition really gained traction in the early 1900s during what was called the Azusa Street Revival. It was out in California. And that's basically, the reason why it got so much traction was because around that time, news media began to go around the world very quickly. Before then, news traveled, but it did not travel exceptionally fast. It traveled very, very slow, which is one of the reasons why different viewpoints can go around the world so fast today. In 10 seconds, your view on the internet can go literally around the world. So around the turn of the century, turn of the 19th century, that began to happen in the early 1900s. And so this revival, news of this revival spread all around the world, and people from all around the world would come into California to try to, to, try to soak up some of this revival and bring it back to their homelands. And so this charismatic belief became very, very prevalent. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit, which was always a conversation in the church, became forefront in the church. And the Protestant church has been divided ever since. You think about this, a wonderful move of God meant to bring the power of the Holy Spirit, healing, repentance, forgiveness of sin, newness of life, came down and the church since then, historically, has used it to divide themselves into one group or another. We got the haves and the have-nots. And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see it. On one side, you have groups that claim that the gifts of the Spirit are the power of God and they prove that you're saved. On the other side, you have people who say that the gifts of the Spirit are, proof that, are, are the work of the devil and they're proof that you're not saved. Great! I'm glad we've all figured this out and that we're just getting along. It's wonderful. Praise God for the power of his spirit. And then you got the rest of us who are stuck in the middle. The continuationist view is a very divided house. A very, very divided house. The range of ideas 
around who gets the gifts and how to use the gifts is literally insane. There are so many different views on this. It is just crazy. And it's crazy to the point where people have actually walked away from charismatic churches to go for more traditional, conservative, less wacky churches. And and I got to be honest, I get it. I totally get it. I got saved in a very Pentecostal church. Very, very Pentecostal church. And as someone who came from a pagan witchcraft background, that was my spiritual background before becoming a Christian, it was very off-putting. It wasn't something that I, I, I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Because I began to see things that were practices in witchcraft in, in the church, with, just with different names on them. And I was wondering, what's going on? You know, how does, has, I didn't know anything, so I didn't, you know, I didn't stomp my feet and walk out of the room. I just, I, I, I needed to know, I needed to understand these things. But at the same time, other people have actually left the church altogether. They've come into the church and they've, they've, they've given their life to the Lord, and all of a sudden they begin to be told things or forced to experience things that they're not emotionally or spiritually ready for, and it actually drives them away from the church. Anyone ever known anyone like that? It usually becomes like this. You know, it's really great that, you, that you've gotten saved and you've given your life to the Lord. Now what you need to do is prove it by speaking in tongues. One, two, three, ready, go. And people realize they can't, And they feel like they've missed something. And so they leave the church because they think they're so unacceptable to God that God won't give them this proof that they're a believer. I've known people like that my whole time in the church. I was one of those people. I remember when I was uh, first first coming coming through the church, my my sister was telling me about ways you could learn to speak in tongues. And I was like, ooh. And then when she told me, I was like, please tell me this is a joke. Right? Please tell me this is a joke. Then you want to remember this. You would say as fast as you possibly could. I'm not making this up. Please, I'm not making this up. If you want to learn to speak in tongues, say as fast as you can, untie my bow tie. Who stole my Honda? You heard that right. Untie my bow tie. Who stole my Honda? Now I want you to think about this. Because this, I've heard people saying this and says, untie my bow tie, who stole my Honda? And I immediately was like, um, no. No. I'm pretty sure when Jesus comes out of heaven on the white horses, they are not powered by a Honda. But this went through the church. There were other ones that just, just crazy, you know, say Mitsubishi over and over and over again. It was so weird. But people would get forced into this thing. And if you couldn't, you were told that you weren't actually saved. There are churches in our area that will tell you, if you don't speak a tongue, you're not actually a Christian. Which is kind of funny because when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he didn't speak in tongues either. <laughs> you read about it in this book. It's called the Bible. We, one of the things we have to remember is that there are no perfect churches. As my understanding in the Bible grew, I began to understand more clearly why people were moving in these directions. I didn't agree with it, but I began to understand why they were going in that direction. 
And we have to remember that there are no perfect churches and there are always going to be something that someone believes in relation to scripture or the gifts of the spirit or something along the power of the Holy Spirit that you are not going to agree with. And then there are going to be things that you believe that somebody else isn't going to agree with. And we have to understand that that's okay. We don't have to agree on every little tiny, tiny things. But what we do need to agree on are the essential tenets of the faith. We do have to come in line there. Because there is a centrality to the gospel message. Sin, salvation, forgiveness, and the moral absolutes of scripture. I have to agree on those things. The rest of it, honestly, is the difference between Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. You know, it's still chicken, but obviously Popeye's is of the devil and Chick-fil-A is, you know, brought to us by Jesus. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I like Popeye's. Honestly, I just like anything fried, really. It's, it's not a secret, right? There are several preachers that I listen to that, um, that I think are tremendous teachers that I don't agree with on a lot of things. An uh, easy example is John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a great preacher. I don't agree with him on Calvinism. I don't agree with him on women in ministry. We're, we don't agree on that. You know what? None of that is a salvation issue but I can line up very easily with the rest of his teaching because he, he knows the Bible. But there are other people that I used to listen to that the more I studied, the more I realized they're actually not even preaching the gospel. They're preaching a type of spiritualism and using Christian terms. I can't be in line with those. And what I, one of the things that I've done over the last several years is I've become a voice against those people, calling out the heresy in their teaching because it really is heresy. But we have to be very careful how we do this. Now, the second opinion, the second view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is called cessationism. And these are people who believe that the gifts and the high offices of the Holy Spirit have ended when the original apostles died. These are more towards your Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist circles, um, even uh, most uh, typical Catholic churches. But remember, there are charismatic Catholic churches as well. So we're not, uh, you know, it's not exclusive to us. Uh, but similarly to the continuation, continuationist group, this particular view is also very, very divided. The definition is the spiritual gifts don't exist anymore. The offices of apostle and prophet don't, don't exist anymore. You can still have pastor, teacher, and evangelist because we like those ones. But the other ones that are listed in that section of scripture, those ones don't exist anymore. Um, and the gifts of the spirit don't exist anymore, except healing because God still heals today. He just doesn't make people healers. Oh, and, and like faith and administration and... Uh, and, you know, and, and, and charity and goodness and self-control and all those fruits. All those things still exist today, but not the ones that are weird. So the group is actually quite divided on how to make this thing happen. They say that there are no apostles today, but, you know, John MacArthur would say there are no apostles today, but honestly, I would see him as an apostle. He would never take the title, but his position shows me that that's exactly what he is in the global church. And the fact that he won't take the, take the title makes me want to give it to him even more, <laughs> you know? Some say that the, none of the gifts are for today because the, only the apostles were given that power. And it was just to grow the early church, and then it died out when they did. Yet they still hold healing services. They still ask you to pray for the sick because they know God still heals. They just don't like the way that the modern charismatic church goes about talking about things like healing. 
when the modern charismatic church talks about healing, we talk about us as healers, not necessarily God as the healer. And so I get it. They would also say that the roles of the apostles and the prophets are no, are no more, but evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they're still around. But just like the continuationist view, there are a host of problems with the cessationist viewpoint, a host of problems. The main problem with their viewpoint is it's not found in Scripture anywhere. There's one verse that we'll look at in a little bit. They say, see, this proves that the spiritual gifts are not for today until you actually read it in the context of the whole thing and you realize, yeah, that's not what it's saying. It's unfortunate, but, but it's there. Both sides claim to be the right ones. Anyone, anyone ever been in one of those arguments? You've got two people on opposite sides of the fence and both of them are absolutely right. Brother. I love you and Jesus gives you the right to be wrong. Okay. The problem with this entire argument is that scripture does not validate either side. Either side. Scripture does not give 100% correctness to either argument. The main argument that I've, the main issue that I've seen over the years is that the both, the bulk of the arguments on both sides of this issue come from personal experience or longstanding denominational tradition, but not scripture. You'll hear people say like this, I know the gifts of the spirit are true because I've experienced them. Okay. When I was involved in witchcraft, almost all of the listed miraculous gifts that you see there, I experienced them in the area of witchcraft. Does that mean that they're true there? No. See, we forget that the spirit of God is not the only spirit at work on earth. There's an evil that wants our attention as well, right? We We got to remember this. Neither side, in my opinion, can claim clear scriptural victory. Uh, for the sake of our conversation the rest of today and next week, I'm going to focus on the charismatic side because there's no reason talking about people who don't believe it, right? They don't, and I don't have a problem with that. And I would tell you, if I was forced to make a choice to either be a cessationist that never experienced the power of God for the rest of my life or a charismatic that mishandled scripture, I would choose cessationism every single time. Every single time. Because at the very least, it's God honoring. At least it's humble. So I have no problem with that side of the issue. I think they're missing out. I think they're limiting themselves in tremendous ways, but I have no issue with people who want to to be there. It's a very safe place to exist. Uh, I just can't do it personally. Now, I'm definitely not a cessationist, but I'm like I said, I'm not a very good charismatic either. Um, It's my opinion that a terrifying number of modern charismatics are actually following a form of uh, witchcraft and pagan spiritualism that uses Christian terms to make itself more acceptable. I can go through many of the larger churches, Hillsong, Bethel, and I can show you the witchcraft in their services. I can show you the pagan belief systems that they put into, into their services. Um, there's a girl, uh, who wrote the song, You Make Me Brave? Yeah, uh, she's a worship leader for Bethel. And I have a, a, a clip of a podcast that she was on where she was talking about how she goes off into the woods to let the trees talk to her about music. And sometimes she, and this is, this is a direct quote from her, and she'll encounter the power some people call God. This is a person who, who, who does a lot of the writing for Bethel's music. The power some people call God, 
She wants to hear from the trees and the nature what song she should be writing. She wants to muse off of nature. Are you serious? It doesn't get any more pagan than that. But the person doing the podcast interview was like, oh, that's so amazing. It's so spiritual. So spiritual. You can suck God out of a tree. Um, no. No, you can't. Nope. Nope. Uh, and I've spent several years digging into this in a more comprehensive way. And uh, if, if you're interested in looking into this in a more detailed way yourself, I want to recommend four books to you. The first one is this one, The Second Coming of the New Age. Yeah, I have read all of these books. I'm not uh, giving you anything that uh, I haven't read myself. Stephen Bankars, who was one of the leading voices in the pagan world until he came to Christ. And he warns you about what's happening in the modern charismatic church. It's, it's pretty amazing. The second one is Richard Rohr, and the, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. I've talked about this a couple times. If you know anyone who's dealing with the Enneagram, this is not a godly thing. They may put Christian terms in it, but this comes straight from, and this is going to sound probably overly weird, this comes straight from the mouth of demons, and I don't say that lightly. The guy who actually came up with it used a, a, type of, a, a type of writing called automatic writing, where literally, from a witchcraft standpoint, you allow an evil spirit into you, and it writes through you. And I know that sounds weird, but it is completely true, and it is completely accurate, and yes, this does happen. That's where this came from. But people were just like, oh, it's so godly. No, it's not. The second one is, the third one is a book that I actually just got. I fin- just finished it yesterday. It's called Counterfeit Kingdom. This is a brand new book. Um, they're pretty hard line on a lot of things. I don't necessarily agree with all the conclusions they come to at the end of the book, but the information in here is invaluable. This is phenomenal. If you don't read any of them other than one, read this one, Counterfeit Kingdom. And the last one is uh, Narrow is the Way. And this is specifically about an, an, a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, um, of which Bethel Church is among the leaders of this group. And they'll show you where they come from, what they're actually teaching, and where they hope to go. I'll warn you this way. If you actually read this information and you look into this, here's one of the things I'll promise you. You won't feel good listening to Bethel music ever again because you'll start to hear their theology and their music, which was the point. Bill Johnson is on video more than once saying, we're using our music to deliver our message to the world. That's his goal. But we'll talk about more of that next week. So the question for today is, are the gifts for today? And honestly, that, the question puzzles me. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand why believers even doubt this. Um, there is nothing in scripture anywhere that gives us any idea that the gifts of the spirit were only intended for the apostles. And scripture even shows us very clearly that it's not just the apostles that were given the gifts. So let me show you a couple things. Acts eleven twenty seven twenty eight says, During this time, some prophets traveled to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and, pre- and predicted uh, by the Spirit that, the great, uh, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. Okay, uh, other prophets came from Jerusalem. None of the apostles, none of the disciples were among this group, and Agabus is named. Um, he wasn't one of the twelve, and neither were the other ones. So, It's not just the apostles who were given these things. And these were prophets. They were known, recognized, accepted prophets in the New Testament. 
Acts 21, 8 through 9 says, The next day they went to uh, uh, went on to Caesarea and stayed in the home of Philip the evangelist. One of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food, he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. I want to point out two things here. Um, one, Philip, not the evangelist, not the, the, the apostle Philip, he was one of the people chosen to be deacons, to hand out food, around the same time Stephen was chosen. Four daughters. That messes with people the, people's theology because only men can do spiritual things for God. Uh, nope. Sorry, Bible, the Bible has a problem with that. Four daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Can't get away with anything in that house. Acts 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. I want to point out something. None of the people listed here were among the 12. None of them. Among the prophets and the teachers. And these weren't all of them. They were just among the prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. There were more. There's nothing in scripture that gives us the impression that the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers was supposed to end ever. And the only verse that the cessationist view uses to try to substantiate this argument is 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 8. And it says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are, uh, there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. See? The gifts are going to come to an end. Well, hold on. Knowledge is one of the things that's supposed to stop. Are we just supposed to, the disciples died and no one knows anything anymore? Oh no, the last, the last of the disciples died. I can't do math. Abel's sitting back there going, you can't do math anyway. I do math as gooder as I do words. Now, at first glance, it looks like it supports that idea until you actually read the context of the passage. Listen to this. Starting in verse 1, chapter 13, it reads like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all goods to feed people, excuse me, and though I uh, give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, it's kind. Love does not envy, does not uh, parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but where there's prophecies, they'll fail. Where there's tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we uh, know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall, uh, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide, uh, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now listen to this. Pursue love 
and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are going to live way longer than he will. He's encouraging them. When you look at that verse in the context of the conversation, it's, there's nothing in the passage that would make you think that Paul is predicting the end of spiritual gifts. He was reminding the Corinthian church that the power of God is best applied in the context of love, in selfless service to others. And you could look at this. Those people who have prophecies are going to be around other people where they don't have a prophecy for them. Those people who have knowledge about one person, they're going to be around other people where they don't have knowledge about those people. That's what Paul's saying. The spiritual gifts are not always at your beck and call. But love is. The choice to love the other person, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of whether or not you have tongues, whether you have knowledge, you have a prophecy, you can still love this person because love is the goal. That's all he's saying. And then he comes back to the end. He says, but desire the spiritual gifts. Desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He is encouraging us to go for it. The spiritual gifts were never about what we could do. They were always about what the spirit can do in us, through us. But that means we have to become a different type of person. We've got to change who we are from the inside. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 11 says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given, pay attention, to each of us so we can help each other. So let me ask a couple of really simple questions. Where does the power in the gift come from? It comes from God, through the Holy Spirit, right? Pretty easy to see. Who decides when a gift is going to be given? God does. We don't order the Holy Spirit around. Can you imagine how, how weird that would sound? So if God is the only one who chooses if a gift will be deployed, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who brings the power of that gift, what does that make us in this transaction? We are God's Tupperware. That's it. You're a box that a present is in that will go to somebody else. I'm drinking a little bottle of water. Looks big in my hands, though. Which is more valuable, the bottle or the water? The water, obviously, right? Let me ask you something. Can you get the water... Without the bottle? Not much. Your hand isn't going to hold a lot. In order to get the water to you, the bottle must be created. The bottle must be clean. The bottle must be available. You see, in order to receive the gift, both have to be there. 
You don't get it one way or the other. The bottle is created to be filled, emptied, and filled again. So were you. You were created in your service to God under the power of the Holy Spirit to be filled, emptied, and filled again. And then emptied and then filled again. We are to be poured out, not filled up. But people don't like that. We think that the gifts are from us. We think that we are given the gift of a healer. God has made me a healer. Sure about that? My general viewpoint is this. The gifts are given through you, not to you. You see, if I give you a gift, if I put something in your hand and say, this is yours, do with it as you will, then you have complete control and command over that gift. That gift responds to your desires. Order the Holy Spirit to do something. It's not going to happen. We don't order the Holy Spirit to do anything. We listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we know what what the will of God is so that we may carry it out onto God's people. So many of us are, uh, so many people teach that the, that we pursue the gifts of the Spirit so that we may command in our authority in Christ what the gifts are supposed to do. We order the gifts to be released. We decree and declare in our power to release the Spirit of God onto man because God has given us that gift. Well, here's a list of gifts from Romans and Corinthians, and I want you to see if these are anything that of any kind of skill level that we could develop personally. Can you go out and learn to do any of this? Let's look at this. Words of wisdom. Well, wisdom doesn't matter. Uh, it's not the person giving it. It's the person who's receiving it that's actually receiving the wisdom, right? They get the gift, not us. Words of knowledge. Well, they're given to the people who need the words of knowledge. I don't have anything. I don't have anything for them. I don't know. I don't know all the secrets of your life, but God does. And he can tell them to me and I can, I can reveal them to you. So the gift's given through me to you. It's not mine. How about this? Faith. Well, the gift of faith is given to the person who has a lack of faith. So if you're praying for the gift of faith, what you're telling God is you don't have any faith. So and the gift is given through you to the person who needs faith. You impart faith into somebody else's life. Healing. Healing is given to the person with the injury, not the person laying on of hands. If you find someone who's got a, got a problem in their life and they, ha- they, need, they need a healing of God, your job is to go to them and lay hands on them. Now, there's parts of the Bible that say you can dump oil on their head too, which is fun. Find someone who needs a healing, go buy a gallon of olive oil and go to their house and be like, I'm here in Jesus' name. They're probably not letting you in, just saying. The working of miracles. Who's the one who receives the the gift? The person who thinks they're creating the thing or the person receiving the miracle? It's the person receiving the miracle. How about prophecy? It's given to the one listening. Discerning of spirits. That's That's not a gift that the person gets. The people with the gift of discerning of spirits, usually it's a burden. It's a burden. The person in my life that I know that has, has functioned in this gift in ways that I actually find it to be a little spooky sometimes is my wife. When she says something wrong with that person, I, my, 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 little, my little antenna go up. You know, because she's always right. Which means I can never get away with anything. 
that's probably why God put us together. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Scripture tells us that tongues is for the listener, not the person speaking. Ministry. Ministry is only received by the ones that you're serving. Teaching, it's for the one hearing. Exhortation, it's for the one hearing. Giving, it's for the person in need. Leadership and and, uh, admiration. I have the gift of admiration. In Greek, what this means is the person steering the ship. You only know where to steer the ship when you've been given the course by the one in charge. And mercy, the gift of mercy is received by the person who requires the mercy. None of these things are are skills that we develop. And the thing that you hear most, uh, uh, more than anything from, from a lot of these organizations like the New Apostolic Reformation and Bethel is about healing. They'll tell you that it's always God's will to heal. Really? Then they should go into all the hospitals and clear them out. But they don't. You want to know why? Because they'll say, well, you know, God's got to agree. Well, hold on. I thought you were the, the mighty prophet and apostle of God with the gift of healing. No. There are no gifts that are ours to command. All of the gifts of the Spirit. And the list in in the Scripture is not a comprehensive list. It's an example of the way God can work through you. The Holy Spirit in your life, released into your life, can do anything according to the will of God. We just have to submit ourselves to it. But they are not under our control. They are not under our command. We do not order the Holy Spirit to do anything. We are vessels not commanders. We are to be vessels of honor. And a vessel of honor is not only a vessel that's usable and available, but a vessel that is humble enough so when it does happen, they're just happy that they were involved. I'm so thankful that I got to be part of this. But this has got nothing to do with me. I'm not the one making this happen. God is the one making this happen. There are many people who claim to be healers. They've never set foot in a hospital. Cancer is still a thing, and millions of people died of COVID. Probably one of the most embarrassing, very public examples of charismatic insanity came during COVID from over 40 apostles and prophets that got online, got onto their YouTube horses, and commanded and decreed and declared that COVID was over. By the, and, and you listen to all of them, and they all say the same thing. By my authority as an apostle or a prophet of God, I declare and I decree an end of COVID. And people all around the world in the church went, oh no, now I'm going to have to deal with this. And it got crazy a couple times. I played this clip before. I'm going to play it again because it's just that insane. Here is one of the main voices in the charismatic church since, I think, the 60s. Kenneth Copeland. Standing in the office of the prophet of God, I execute judgment on you, COVID-19. I execute judgment on you, Satan, you destroyer, you killer, you get out, you break your power, you get off this nation. I demand. 
you. I demand, I demand, I demand a vaccination to come immediately. Yes. When? When? Almighty. Almighty. Strong. South winds. Watch his eyes. Heat. Heat. Burn this thing. Burn this thing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Satan, Jesus. you bow your knees. Satan, you bow your knees. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. COVID-19. I don't even want to tell you how many views that has. Standing in the office of the prophet of God, he declared an end to COVID and then asked for a vaccine. Something's wrong with that. You know, I declare you are healed and that the ambulance will get here quickly. Um, no, no, that is not a vessel of honor. The vessels of honor that I've known in my life are the people whose names you'll never know because they serve quietly in churches all over the world. They don't do things for attention. They're not here to grab notoriety. They don't need a bunch of followers. They just simply want to do what's right in God's eyes because it's what's right in God's eyes. They're there to help, they're there to serve, and they're there there to honor God. Those are the vessels of honor. The power of the Holy Spirit is real, and it is available, and it should be a part of your life. You should be trying to step into whatever it is God is calling you to do but you understand it in a very specific way that you are not the determining factor on how the spirit exists in your life. God is. Our job is to become a worthy vessel. Our job is to be available. Our job is to be willing. Our job is to step out in courage into things that we would not normally ever do. I hear this from people all the time. I would love to be on the worship team. Well, show up. Well, I, I, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I, um, uh, 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 I'd love to be a worship leader. Well, do you know how to sing? No. Are you willing to be taught? I'm just going to trust in the spirit. <laughs> Can you trust in singing lessons too? I want to be a healing evangelist. Okay, great. Do you, do you know how to pray for people? Oh, no, 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 I'd hate praying for people. When I got out of high school and I went to college, I went to culinary school to become a chef. And I went to, be, I went to become a chef for a very specific reason. I don't like talking to people. I wanted to hide in the kitchen in front of a stove with my knife, cooking some steaks, making some pretty dishes, making a little money, and then go about my life. 
The last thing I ever wanted to do was stand up in front of a group of people, the teacher, something. I thought, this is, this is funny, funny, God, funny. But here's what I did. When I knew that my calling was going to go in this direction, I found a way to be comfortable with it. Usually revolves somewhere around making a complete idiot of myself. But I developed a comfort with that. Actually, I kind of like it now. You have a call of God on your life, and you need the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that call. And if you're struggling in it, it might have something to do with the choices that you've made. I just can't get the Holy Spirit working in my life. That's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's yours. Are you willing to step in to what God has for you? That means you've got to step into things that you might not be prepared to do, that you might not feel comfortable doing, but you're going to learn to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit because he's there. God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm leaning on you. God, I'm believing that you're going to be there. You know? It's important that we do this. Otherwise, you're going to watch other people doing the things that you think you should be doing, and you're going to get very frustrated when you see it. God, why are they fulfilling my calling? It's because you wouldn't. 